Hello, you're listening to Four Micro Angela L's iPhone. What the? <laughs> Hello, you're listening to Four Micronations by Micronations. <laughs> Something weird just happened. I'm sure you heard it. Um, I'm Angela. I'm your Micronation American sister, daughter, auntie, host, and creator of the podcast. Dog mom. You know, lots of things. So if you've been listening, you know I've been taking this month to really read more like history of my different types of micronesians and i've been getting this from a book called some things of value micronesian customs as seen by micronesians and today i was like i'm just gonna open the book to a page see what is basically calling me to be like read me read me so i came across history of land ownership on makil which i love also, um, I say Makil. I think some people say Makil. Um, my family is not Makalese, but my dad speaks Makalese. He grew up in a village where there was a mix of Pinglapis and Makalese and Nechikis. So I'm excited to read about it because I feel like this connection with this community. So here I go. Land ownership of Makil is complicated by cultural considerations and foreign administrations. However, on all islands in Micronesia, ownership of land is of great importance on the island. Before the Great Typhoon of 1770, there was probably no private ownership of land. Very little taro seems to have been grown of that time, but the products of the land were probably freely available to everyone. The large taro patch on the islet of Kalap was under the sea and only wet taro was grown on a comparatively small patch on Uruk Islet. The important taro patch on Kalup was reclaimed from the sea by filling in the channel after the typhoon. There were few people remaining on the island after this natural disaster. As the population increased, however, the families had to decide how to distribute the land. Finally, it was decided to divide the land among the families of Kalup, as this was the only inhabited islet until around 1850. Later, People moved to the islet of Mwandun to be near the visiting ships. Sorry for my dog. But yes, the visiting whaling ships. When the whalers stopped coming, however, everyone returned to Kalup. In 1852, a visit to Makil was made by a certain N.J. Anderson, who said that the population numbered about 87 at that time. According to Anderson, Americans had arrived that same year and dominated the land by establishing themselves as lords. They supplied whalers with pigs, chickens, and vegetables and were making much money. The Makalese were receiving only a little cloth, tobacco, and gin. The typhoon of 1905, while probably not as disastrous as the prehistoric one of 1770, was nevertheless devastating to the land. Starvation would have taken place had the German administration on Panape not sent relief and temporarily moved part of the population to Panape. The Germans estimate that half of the coconut trees were destroyed and almost all provisions were lost. During the German administration, the land was deeded to individuals. As it happened, applications had to be filled and this was a process which few people understood. As a result, the land was distributed unequally, and those working for the church had an advantage in obtaining titles to land. At present, the three islets of Makil are divided into many sections, and they have names to identify part of the islets. These sections, in turn, are subdivided by ownership, and rapid population growth has caused many divisions. Whereas inheritance of land at one time was simple, and the land went to the oldest son, today it is much more complicated. Land is often divided equally among all children in a family. 
Also, a daughter might be given land to bring to the family of her husband. Okay, so that's today. So yes, like I said, Muckley is very dear to my heart. I hope everyone enjoyed it. I, I really did like reading about this because land is a very interesting thing. You know, as someone who is settling in the United States, America, like there's this big thing. I have this t-shirt. It'll very much tell you the type of person I am. And it reads, no human is illegal on stolen land. Because land is constantly stolen by colonists and colonizers. And yeah, I mean, it's, I, I like to read this type of thing because it's just, you know, these stories were passed down orally. We learn these things orally. And so then once it's written and we can read it, it's it's so fascinating to hear what the history is. So yeah, I love this book. I love it. Um, as everyone's been listening, if you have been listening, I am putting out an episode every single day for the month of May. May is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. I'm calling it Micronesian Month. And so I will be back tomorrow. I hope you're back tomorrow too to listen to some more. And everyone, you have a great day. Thanks. Thank you for tuning into season four of Four Micronesians by Micronesians, and thank you for listening. Four Micronesians by Micronesians is an anchor production hosted, produced, and edited by me, Angela Edward. You can learn more about me at AngelaEdward.com and more about the podcast at the Four Micronesians by Micronesians Instagram page. If you have questions, inquiries, or recommendations for future topics or guests, please DM them into the Instagram page. I do want to recognize that I created this podcast in the home that I have settled in that colonists coined as Jackson, Michigan in the United States. This land is the land that was originally founded by the Potawatomi tribe that lived around what we now know as the Great Lakes. The Potawatomi tribe taught their children about the seven grandfather's teachings of wisdom, respect, love, honesty, humility, bravery, and truth. And as kindred indigenous people, I want to honor their tribe and the respect for their ancestors by recognizing my gratitude for their space. All of my Micronesian listeners and ally listeners, thank you again for listening and don't forget your self-care.